I want to take my text from verse 17 of chapter 5, which we use in our scripture reading. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. So my title is A New Creature. A New Creature. Last Sunday, we looked at the ministry of reconciliation, how Paul is defending the integrity of his ministry. He's being criticized by some at the church, church of Corinth and also by the false apostles who are influencing this church. So although it's distasteful to him, he has to defend his ministry for the sake of the church and for the sake of their welfare. So in these passages, he's being a bit autobiographical. He's telling somewhat of his own conversion, but then he's instructing the church and he's telling us theological realities about our own change, how we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And this, of course, is the fulfillment of prophecy, Exodus 36, where God prophesies through Ezekiel and says, I will take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I will cause them to walk in my ways and to keep my commandments. Now, the keeping of commandments is not the root of our salvation. It's not the source of it. Christ kept the commandments on our behalf, and God has charged Him with our sins. But keeping the commands of God is the fruit of of being a Christian. It's the fruit and the evidence that we are indeed new creatures in Christ. What does that mean? It means God has worked in our hearts to transform us so that now we are in Christ Jesus the Lord. That what He did on Calvary's cross has now been applied by the Holy Spirit so that now we are new creatures in three ways this morning. A new way of living, number one. A new way of knowing people, number two. And lastly, a new way of seeing all things. So let's look at these three things this morning in this context. First, Paul says in verse 14, For the love of Christ constrains us, it controls us, it drives us. Why, Paul? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all died. All died in Christ when he died. And that he died for all, verse 15, so that they which live. What does it mean to be a new creature in Christ? It means they which live no longer, no more, live for themselves, but unto him which died and rose again for them. So at the core of being a Christian, at the core of being a new creature, being someone that's saved, being a person that comes to faith in Christ, At the core is this issue. We've come to the place where we can say, no longer, no longer do we live for ourselves, but now we're living for King Jesus. In verse 20, Paul says, now are we ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. He's saved us. He's rescued us. And now we want to live a life under His kingship in such a way that like an ambassador represents a monarch, a king in those days, no presidents in that day, just kings and monarchs, we too are representatives of Christ in the world, and so we want to live for Him and not for ourselves. So the question then is, what does that mean? What does it mean to you personally? Well, if we ask the question, how was it that Paul was living for himself before he met Jesus 
on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Right now in this room, you're either living for yourself or you're seeking to live for Christ. I can think of no better place to go to in Scripture where Paul will tell us in his own words what it meant for him to live an egocentric life rather than a Christocentric life. Egocentric just means you live for self. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you're about is in the service of self. To advance your cause, to advance yourself. That's how Paul once lived. And in fact, it's either how you are living now or it's how you once lived before Christ invaded your life and you became a new creation in Christ by the divine grace of God. So in our scripture reading this morning, you heard Brother Aaron read from Titus chapter 3, and Paul gives us these words about what it meant for him when he lived unto himself and for himself. This is what he said. For we ourselves were once upon a time in the past, this is what Paul was about. He was foolish, disobedient, and deceived. He was serving all kinds of lust and pleasure, and he was living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now let's break that down. The condition that he was in, the idols that he served, and the way he lived. He was living for himself. All right, the condition that he was in. He was foolish. And if we are honest with ourselves, and we just take what God's Word says about us, sin makes us foolish, doesn't it? To be foolish means we, we've lost a sense of judgment. We don't have good judgment. We're unwise, right? In what sense does sin make us fools? Sin deceives us into thinking that we know how to live life better than God knows. And we demonstrate it every day. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now to be foolish doesn't mean we say in our lips, we don't believe God exists. I'm going to assume that everyone in this room, I'm just making an assumption, that you would say, yeah, I believe in the existence of God. See, at the mouth level, we, we know God exists, but at the heart level, the street level, we live functionally as if God doesn't exist. That is, we live life on our own terms. The way I want to do it. The way I see it. I reject the life that God demands that I live. I don't want His way. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm going to live life on my own terms. That was Paul's condition. That's our condition apart from Jesus. That's how every person comes into the world, wanting to do life as they please. That's why your young children rebel at the dinner table when they don't want to eat what you put on the table. Why? They want to live as kings. They don't want to do what you say, and they don't want to eat what you serve. And it's manifested every day in our lives, isn't it? So Paul's condition, when you live to yourself, sin turns us in on ourself. It makes us selfish, and we're foolish because we reject the knowledge of the supremacy of the way God says we should live. We say, I'm just going to do it my way. That's how Paul lived. How are you living? Second, he says, disobedient. When we're foolish, then we're disobedient. That means unpersuadable, non-compliant. We would not be persuaded. If I'm honest with myself, I still have a struggle at times being persuaded by my wife or by somebody else. See? 
When sin turns me in on myself, I will not be persuaded. It means to be willingly rebellious. So when we're foolish and sin turns us in on ourselves, and that's the way we live for ourselves, then we're not going to comply with anybody's guidance or anybody's rules, primarily God's, because we think we know best. We profess ourselves to be wise and we become fools, Romans chapter 1, right? And we exchange the glory of the incorruptible God into base things, creeping things. We make an exchange. That is, because we profess ourselves to be wise and we know how to live this life for which the Creator, who created us, clearly tells us how to live in the Word, we then become fools and we will not comply. Of course, we'll comply with any kind of guidance that serves our purpose. We'll comply with any kind of counsel that will advance our own cause and that says we can live the way we want to live. We will accept any kind of counsel that affirms what we want. But when it runs counter to what we want, we will not Submit. This is Paul's condition. It's our condition as it relates to the Word of God. This is how we come into the world. Foolish, disobedient, then deception. Here's kind of the root issue. Paul was living a life of deception. The worst kind of deception is not when someone deceives you. You know, you can recognize that at some point. The worst deception is self-deception. When you are deceiving yourselves because it's coming from within your own thoughts. The deception and the foolishness of thinking that we know better than God how to live this short life called a vapor. The word deception means to wander, to roam. Prone to wonder, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're all prone to that still, aren't we? Even after being new creatures in Christ, we are prone to go back to that old way of living. On my own terms, the way I see it, the way I want it, and the way I want to do it. I'll do singleness my way. I'll do marriage my way. I'll do family my way. I'll do work my way. That's to live unto ourselves, isn't it, beloved? Foolish, disobedient, deceived. So Paul tells us in his own words in Titus 3 what it means to live for yourself and to live an egocentric life. You just do life on your own. And, you know, that Bible's a good book, but it's, I'm not going to hear it. It's not for me. Now, in that condition, Paul gives us two gods that he served, and you're either serving those gods this morning or you once did. Nobody's exempt here. Paul said in that condition, he uses a participle, serving. It said, serving all kinds of lusts and pleasures. The word pleasures is the Greek word hedone, which we get our English word hedonist. Paul was a religious hedonist. A hedonist is someone who maximizes pleasure in life. I mean, they pursue pleasure to the fullness. Paul, interestingly, was a religious hedonist. He got his pleasure out of religion. He wanted everybody to make much of him. 
He wanted everybody to tell him how good he was. He wanted everybody to tell him how righteous he was. And he was just using religion for the advancement of his own self-centered pleasures. Serving the gods of your own desires and your own pleasures. Now what what you need to see is that the, the essence and the nature of sin is contained in that statement. See, we've defined sin as what you do with your hands and where you go with your body and what you say with your mouth. Of course, the Bible makes it clear that that's true. And we often make sin to be, well, if I hurt somebody, well, that's wrong. But if I don't hurt anybody, then I'm okay. That's not the way God defines sin. He takes it down to the level of what you want and where you find pleasure. And that makes us all sinners, doesn't it? Listen to the essence of evil in Jeremiah chapter 2, where God says, Be astonished, O heavens. Be horribly horribly afraid. Why? My people have committed two evils. Two evils. God's going to reduce the nation of Israel with all that they were down to two evils. What do you think it is? Must have been killing or adultery or something really bad. Mass murder, two evils, here they are. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you started digging your own wells. That is the essence of evil. You know what that means about us? We are sinners, and at core, as God defines it, we are evil. Now, I'm not talking about my definition. I don't think you people are evil. What's evil, according to God? When we serve the idols of desire and hedonistic pleasures, that is, when we pursue pleasure apart from God, that's evil. Now look at the imagery in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says, we dig wells that are broken. What is a functional well? I picture a well on the hillside with stone and little... A-frame roof over it with a crank on it with a rope and a, and a pail on it. A functional well, you drop the bucket into the water and then you crank it up. And you've got water and you drink the water and it satisfies your thirst. That's a functioning well. Now what's a non-functioning well? A well that you keep dropping down and it brings up an empty bucket. Or maybe it lasts for a little while and then it's empty all over again. So the imagery that Jeremiah gives us, and the way that Paul said he lived, he just went through life digging his own well that never will satisfy. But God is the well that does what? He satisfies the soul. So the essence of sin, the essence of living for ourselves, means we will live life to pursue pleasures that have nothing to do with the supremacy of Christ and God. Now, when we live that way, we're going to see in Paul, it starts to work out in your mouth, in your hands, what you do with your body, and where you walk with your feet. But at its core, it's in your soul, it's in your heart, it's in your thinking. So Paul is a religious hedonist. He lives for himself. And he's going to use every relationship 
every person, every event, everything to maximize his own selfish pleasures. Now, you would have to confess you've either lived that way or maybe you're living that way now. That everything in your life serves one purpose and you're the king. You're going to live and use everything in your life to serve your purpose of maximizing your own joy, which is at the heart of self-centeredness. So whatever pleases you, whatever makes you tick, whatever you want out of life, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, that's where you're going. We find from God's Word, if it departs from God and treats Him like He's a broken well, it's sin. Now look at the outcome of the way that Paul used to live. Now here's how it works out in his lips and his life. Here's the next participle. So he's foolish, disobedient, he's deceived, that's his condition when he lived for himself. Then he's serving all kinds of lust and pleasures because he expects the object of what he's looking to to deliver on what he wants out of life. So he's, he's going after it. Now he's living in what? Malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So what's spewing out of his mouth? Hatred. He's malicious. He's bitter. He didn't like it when people advance in front of him. He's envious. And what did he do when he was envious of Christ and the followers of Christ? Well, he started killing them. He thought he was doing God a service. What do you do when someone advances in front of you? Right? Maybe things are going a little better for them and you want what they've got. Does it make you upset? Do you get malicious? Do you talk about that person? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? See, that's a key evidence that we're serving the wrong God. And we're upset Because that person is getting in on the joy of this life that we're after, and then it causes us to live a certain way. So Paul describes, as we look at our text, what does it mean when we live for ourselves before we were new creatures in Christ? The things that Paul lays out in Titus 3. Now here's the question. If we now are living unto Him that died and rose again, what does that mean? Are we to assume then that it means then, you know, it's a killjoy? You know, as some people think of Christianity, put on the straitjacket, <laughs> live a life of no joy, <laughs> got to say no to everything. Well, listen to what Paul says in the same context in Titus chapter 3. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, Now, what's Paul talking about our text? The love of Christ controls him. After Paul saw the love of Christ, and he experienced it in his own soul by faith, how does Paul live now? He lives for something superior than 80 years of pleasure and eternal death. My mother used to say to me when I would sit down at the table for lunch when I was younger, your eyes are way too big, she would say. Which means I piled up the plate and I couldn't take in what, what I put on the plate. My stomach was not big enough. 
That's not our problem. Our problem is our eyes are way too small. When we pile up our plate with living life for shadow pleasures that won't last, we are being so, so small. When all the while there's the love of Christ and the delight of His love spiritually that fills the soul and never runs dry. So to live unto Him doesn't mean the death of all joy and the death of all pleasure. It means the birth and the purification of joy and pleasure that's superior than anything created in this world. Everything you pursue in this life will leave you empty. You probably can already point to something in your life. You thought, you thought, if I just get that, if I just have this relationship, if I can just get that thing, and then it fell apart. Or it rusted, or she went away, or he left you, or it got old. Giving witness to what? It cannot satisfy. You put your hope in anything in this life other than Christ, and eventually you will be Heartbroken, devastated, and utterly disappointed. It was not designed to give you what you think it will. Only Christ and His love can satisfy the soul. And how long does that last? For eternity. Forever. So living for ourselves means living on our own terms, pursuing our own way. But living under Christ means we found something superior than anything created trinkets could ever provide. It's going to decay. It's going to fall apart. And then one day, you're going to fall apart. You won't even have the capacity to enjoy food anymore. Your teeth come out. Your senses fade. Your stomach can't hold it anymore. All the things we put our hope in slowly start to die. And then the grave takes them Forever. What then? Christ. His love satisfies. His love brings joy. His love never ends. So that means also, if we're no longer living into ourselves, but living unto Him that died and rose again, we've got to put to death those pleasures that still tempt us. Mainly the sinful ones, right? Is anybody still tempted with the pleasures of this world? The pleasures of sin, which are for just a short time, and bring grief, guilt, heartache, consequences? Is anybody tempted? We're tempted. So, to deny yourself as a Christian is not to deny yourself joy. It's to practice self-denial from things that really don't bring you any joy. Now listen to Jesus and... Mark chapter 8, I'll turn there if you'd like to. Mark chapter 8, Jesus is going to tell Peter and his disciples about self-denial. And again, we have this picture of self-denial, which means put on a straitjacket, no joy, no fun, no pleasures in life. But listen how Jesus reasons through self-denial and how he points to the power of self-denial. So in verse 34 of Mark 8, Jesus says, And when He had called the people unto Him with His disciples, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after Me, 
that is to be a Christian, let him do what? Deny himself. You've got to give up something. And do what? Take up his cross and follow me. Because whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. All right, self-denial. Jesus says, if you want to be a follower, if you want to live like a new creature in Christ, his demand is you've got to stop living for yourself. You can't be a Christian if you live for yourself. Now, I can say I'm a Christian. I can do that all day. The devil can say he's a Christian. But to be a true Christian, Jesus calls on his followers to do what? Give up, deny living life on your own terms. Now, the question is, how am I going to do that? I mean, that's a strong pull, isn't it? I have to wake up every day and die to myself. Because every day, there's something in me that wants to get up and tell people what I want to tell them, go where I want to go, and live exactly to maximize my own personal pleasure. That's not God's way. So Jesus says the key is to deny myself. How do you do it? Well, the principle is found in verse 35. If we save our lives, then we lose the life we're trying to save. In other words, if we save our lives, we don't deny anything in our lives, right? We want to keep it. That's why a person won't become a Christian. I'm sorry, I kind of like the way life's going. Kind of like doing it my way. Kind of like pursuing my own pleasure. So if you hang on to your life and say, I'm going to live life on my own terms, you lose it forever. It's gone. But if you lose your life, which means what? Deny yourself, your old way of living. All of us have to practice self-denial. If you lose your life through self-denial, you live forever. Now the principle that we find in verse 35 is Jesus says, Lose your life for His sake and the Gospels. Right? For what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world? So the person that says, I'm going to live life in my own terms, I'm not going to deny myself anything. I mean, I may have to because I can't get it, or something gets in the way, or I don't have enough money, or I may go to jail, but otherwise, I'm going to live life in my own terms, I'm going to save my life, which means you lose it, because you're trying to gain the whole world. Isn't that it? If you don't deny yourself, you're seeking gain. That's it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Why do you live the way you do? I just want to gain. I want more money, or more power. Whatever it is that I'm serving, I want the gain. And now look at the counterpoint. If you lose yourself through self-denial, for Jesus' sake, you'll be a gainer. And the key is, for Jesus' sake. And let me give you an illustration. If you want to shed a few pounds, get a little stronger, get a little healthier, you're going to have to go to the gym, you're going to stop eating those donuts, you've got to deny something, even if it's your time. You've got to go to the gym five days a week. Now, frankly, let me just tell you, my age... It's over. I'm not worth it to me. You know, give me the donuts. You guys go to the gym and get buff. I was like that at about 20, but no longer. All right? 
But when I did, when I did that, you know the principle that drove me to do it? It was the principle of gain and worth. See? Why do you give up that food? Why, why do you go sweat and grunt and do all that? It's worth it. It has value. It's the gain of shedding the pounds, getting the health, or going around flexing my muscles. That's gain. That's superior gain than what I gave up. Listen to what Jesus is saying. When you see the gain of Christ and His worth and His value, to give up the lesser things of life on your own terms, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? So what Jesus is saying, the power to stop living for yourself and to live for Him, the power of self-denial is to see Christ as superior to the little things you give up. How much greater and superior is the eternal God who is self-sufficient, self-existing, and has always lived in joy and pleasure for eternity than the created pleasures that we say no to? If we don't have that in mind, you know what's going to happen to me? I won't ever give it up. It won't be worth it. It won't be worth it to give up the donuts. It's not worth it to go to the gym. Because I'm saving my life. I will not deny myself because I want the gain. What I'm eating, what I'm doing. But on the other hand, to live for Christ means to so see Him and His love as superior to all the gains of earth that we say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Gain. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if we don't see that, we're not going to make it. See? You say, well, I can't do that. I'm just going to deny that. You're not going to last. It's like Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. You are no fool for giving up what you will give up. And you will. Death will claim every joy you have ever had. You're no fool for giving up what you cannot keep to gain the person that you can never lose. And if you never lose him, you never lose joy and pleasure forever. So we say to the devil, devil, Take your water pistol of sex and money and power and prestige and fame and you go straight to hell because that's where he'll be. Is it not true? The devil's not ruling over hell. Hell is God's creation for the devil and his angels, right? When God saves you, beloved, he's not saving you from the devil. He's saving you from himself and his own wrath because we belittle his glory by seeking pleasures that He created rather than the superior pleasure of God in Christ. So, beloved, let us, although it's hard, although we're tempted, although we fall often, although we still are weak, let us turn to Christ and live for Him and turn away and say, No longer, no more, my God, I boast no more of all the duties I have done. I quit the hopes I held before and trust the merits of Jesus Christ. So right now, everybody in this room, you're either living for yourself or you're living for Christ. And living for Christ means you're, you're in a fight. You're in a struggle till you go to the grave to keep turning away 
from the allurements of the devil and sin and turning back to the superior, superior love of Christ. Because Paul says what? The love of Christ is constraining us. Number two. And we'll, we'll quit on number two and take up number three this afternoon. Number two. Paul says, verse 16, Wherefore, no longer, he uses that word again, the same Greek word, no longer know we no man after the flesh. What does it mean to be a new creature? It means we don't regard people in the same way anymore. The word know means regard or to appraise, like an appraisal on your house. You call some real estate expert, they come out and they tell you the value of your home. Now, there was a time when Paul lived for himself. He, he appraised people on superficial things. Now, if you look in verse 12, the critics, these false teachers at Corinth, that's how they live. They glory in the appearance, which means the face, and not in heart. Now, Paul was like that. Are you like that? The first thing you notice about a person, are they rich or are they poor? Do they look good or do they look bad? Are they cool? Are they uncool? Are they from this country or that country? Is their skin color this or that? God is calling on Christians to no longer assess people by external things. Paul himself said there was a time when he judged Jesus Christ that way. What do you think about Christ? He's a poor man, he's a carpenter, and he's an imposter. And he would have killed him himself if he could. And he killed his followers. He judged Christ according to his own flesh and he appraised him through natural eyes until what happened? He became a new creature. Now he doesn't see people that way any longer. What that means, first of all, is Paul has a new way of seeing himself. He has a new identity. He's in Christ. Right? Identity, at the very base level, identity is like your identification card, your driver's license. You pull it out, it's got your height, your weight, eye color, hair color. There's a picture. That's who you are. That's identity. But identity is deeper than that. It's the sense of who you are and what you look to to find meaning, purpose, and well-being. Right? So Paul, first of all, he he doesn't identify himself in any other way than I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Now what are the implications if he he does it in a different way? Let's take the implications of being a parent, right? So if you identify yourself, you get your identity in being a parent. That's where you draw your meaning, your purpose, and your well-being. Well, as a parent, the very definition of the word means you have children, right? And if that's your identity, then your children are wrapped up in your identity. And if that's true, then what? You're going to make demands and require them to be something because who they are now affects your identity and your appearance. So you're overbearing. And when they fail, you come down hard because you need them to perform a certain way. You need them to be a certain thing. And if they're not, your whole identity is confused and in chaos. Because that's where you're drawing your well-meaning or your, 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 your happiness, your, your purpose. Think about Paul. If he identifies himself as an apostle, that is, that's where he gets his meaning and his purpose. Well, this church is criticizing him. And if he draws his purpose from being an apostle, 
He's coming down hard on these people, right? Or if they're not doing very well, they're not a healthy church, well, he's upset. Why? Because his identity is in being a preacher. That's not my identity. Where do you get your identity? Well, I'm successful. I'm an achiever. I'm a hard worker. See, Then in all your relationships, you're going to make demands on people because your identity is connected to that relationship. And they've got to make you look good. So if you've got employees and they're not, you're going to come down hard because you don't care about people. It's just your identity. Paul says... We don't know men after the external appearance anymore, which means he doesn't see himself in that regard. He sees himself in Christ. And then secondly, he doesn't see people based on what's going on on the outside. He only sees people one of two ways. They're in Christ or they're not. Now think about the reality. Every person in here this, this morning, you're in Christ or you're not. You're heaven bound or you're hell bound. There's no middle guard. There's, there's no middle place. Right? To be a new creature means to be on the pathway of holiness and the pathway of glory. Now, when Paul doesn't see men by these superficial ways and he sees people that are outside of Christ, what does he do? He brings them the ministry of reconciliation, he has compassion. If he sees people as odd or strange or scary, what does he do? He backs off and he forms his own little circles and he makes his click groups. And the word of reconciliation goes nowhere. Oh, how critical it is for us as Christians to see people not through outward appearance, but in Christ or not. In Christ or not. Because Paul was given the ministry of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation was committed to him and it's committed to us. And if we push people away because they don't look like us, they're not like us, we're missing our calling as a church. When Jesus saw people, he didn't see externalities. In Matthew chapter 9, where there was a great multitude that he saw. He saw the multitude. So it must have been a mixed multitude. What did he see? First, he was moved with compassion. He was stirred with compassion. Splonknizomai is the word, which is the gut area. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Except that's where you feel compassion, isn't it? Right? When you get butterflies, you, you feel compassion. He was emotionally moved with compassion when he saw the crowd, because they fainted, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now think about that. Is that how you see people? They need a shepherd, and his name is Christ. And if they need a shepherd, and you know the shepherd, what do we do? We want to... Bring the word of the shepherd to them. See? And not stand back or say they're not like us. They don't speak our language. They're, they're different. We're different. 
So God is calling us to have a gospel disregard for people, as one writer put it. It means we're not regarding them according to the flesh and what they look like. We're regarding them with the gospel, in Christ or out, and we see people as sheep having no shepherd, which means no one to satisfy them, no one to lead them beside the still waters, no one to make them lie down in green pastures, no one to lead them in paths of righteousness for His namesake. That's Psalm 123 about the great shepherd. No one to anoint their head with oil. These are metaphors. No one to lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. No one to give them a rod and a staff to comfort them. No one to pursue them with goodness and mercy all the days of their lives because they don't have a shepherd. See, our pipeline of compassion is shut off as soon as we start looking at people with external reality. We miss it as a church. We miss it as Christians because all we can see is, well, that's different. Well, they don't look like me. Or they're from another country. Well, Paul says, no, we no man after the flesh anymore, no longer. Why, Paul? Because we're new creatures in Christ. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, we knew Him just as a man, a Jewish man, Paul now sees Him totally different as King Jesus. And Paul is but an ambassador. And he wants to bring the message of the King, the ways of the King, the words of the King to people. And that means we have to step down off the throne of our lives and stop being king. I wish I could say I don't enjoy being king, but but I, I do. There's something in me that wants nothing more just to be the king of my own life, and it's in you too. But Jesus came and died and rose again so that they which live, new creatures in Christ, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him that died and rose again so that we would no longer see people as rich or poor, their status, their rank, as cool or uncool, as smart or unsmart, as college educated or uneducated, this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. We see them as in Christ or out. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Are you in Christ? Say, how would I know that? If you confess Christ and repented of your sins and come to the place you say, I'm going to make a commitment. I need help. I need prayer. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit because I can't do this. I'm coming to the parting of ways for loving sin anymore. I love Jesus because He loved me first and now I want to be a follower of Him that died. And why did He die? Was that just kind of a mistaken death? Was it a tragedy? No, it was the plan of God. God ordained His own Son's death. Why? That He might be made sin for us, that God would count His sin, not His sin, count your sin as His. Jesus had no sin. God would count Him as if it was His sin, although it was yours. He laid it His charge so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word to us. We confess, even to this day, we want to live for ourselves, Lord. It's within us. We're still sinners. We still seek to gratify our own flesh, to live life the way we see it. But Lord, we confess our sin. We come to you and ask you to help us come under your word, come under the authority of King Jesus and start living life on your terms because that's the best life. 
the best life we could possibly live is in obedience to the one that knows, the all-wise, the all-merciful, sovereign creator of the universe, who created souls, who created all things, and knows how we should live life. So Lord, forgive us, Lord, help us, and Lord, bless us not to see men based on external things, not to regard men any longer that way, no longer, but to look at people with compassion of being in Christ or out of Christ, and may we bring the word of reconciliation to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.